Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I hope you're having a great day today. We are at our headquarters here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but I got to tell you, I have to send a special shout out to my listeners in Ireland, Japan, and by the way, Japan, through the U.S. State Department, I'm coming to your country in April, and to all of our listeners, thank you so much for following the show It really is a great thing you're doing because you are spreading the news of quality of life for people living with disabilities. And a special shout out to my good friend, Yoshiko Dart. I never miss a show. Yoshiko, sending out a special hi and greeting to you. And of course, to our lead sponsor of this show, Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield. And also, AudioEye. Thank you both so much. And I am so excited about our show today. As a matter of fact, I liked our guest so much. The day I met her, I right then said, I want you on my radio show. That had to be the fastest turnaround I have ever delivered. And you will see why. She is an awesome lady. Barbara Merrill, Chief Executive Officer of Anchor. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. I'm delighted to be with you. Well, Barbara, I see we have a political dignitary with us today because you served as representative in Maine. You ran for governor. Now, you know, it's always interesting to me. uh, This is such a wonderful serving thing to do when people are in political office. So my question is, what made you decide to do that? <laughs> it's always a really good question, isn't it? Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll share right from the start. There was never a life goal of mine. You know, I wasn't the one that ran for class president or even class vice president. Uh, but um, somewhere around, I guess it was my senior year in high school, um, I had a, a high school civics teacher that just really was one of the best teachers I'd ever had. Um, and, you know, so he started the bug. Uh, so when I got to college, I started volunteering for political campaigns. And the first political campaign I ever volunteered for was for uh, former United States Senator Edmund Muskie who was truly one of the giants um, of the American, you know, political um, pantheon of champions. Um, You know, Ed Muskie, every time you jump into a crystal clear lake or you can swim in a river or you can take a deep breath, um, I think about Ed Muskie because he was the father of the Clean Air and Clean Water Act. So I was inspired. I agree. Awesome. When I think of him, absolutely awesome. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, I mean, he was, you know, he he was my inspiration. Um, so I worked for his campaign, and went on and worked for other people's campaigns, and then became an advocate myself. Um, and I advocated on behalf of people with disabilities as well as uh, the service providers that supported them. 
um, before the Maine legislature work that I just loved. And I did that for a lot of years. And then I had an opportunity to run for the Maine legislature. And, you know, and I thought, why not? Um, it, you know, I, you know, when you're, when you're an advocate, you know, when you're working, you know, day in and day out, you know, either at the state house level or uh, the congressional level, it's really easy to fall into thinking that you can do better, you know, being really frustrated with elected folks for not, you know, doing everything you want them to do. Um, and so I thought, you know, why don't I give this a shot? Um, and I ran for the legislature. Um, I knocked on, God, about 2,000 doors, it seemed like. I had this extraordinary opportunity to just talk to people from all walks of life. Um, I was elected. And, and then I really, it was just a, an extraordinary eye-opening experience. You know, intellectually, you know um, that things like that are difficult. Um, or you, you know, intellectually, you really, you know, it's easy to understand, um, you know, that elected folks do have to, you know, look for compromise. They've, you know, they've got to um, take different interests into account. But um, it wasn't until I was actually in those shoes that I really, truly appreciated um, really how extraordinarily um, challenging it is um, that, you know, the work that our elected officials do. Um, balancing state budgets, you know, uh, even thinking about balancing the federal budget. Um, you know, seeking to change insurance laws, for example, so that insurance, you know, covers the brain on a par with the rest of the body. Um, you know, issues like that that seemed like they really should have been pretty simple from the side of an advocate um, was, you know, really kind of put into starker contrast uh, when you balanced, you know, the competing interests that folks have to think about. So I loved the experience. Um, I enjoyed it so much I decided to run for governor. Um, I obviously wasn't elected. Uh, I ran as an, in an independent um, back in 2004, I think it was. But it was one of the most extraordinary experiences of my life. And, and Joyce, let me tell you why. You know, when you said, uh, that when we met, you know, you and I connected so much, you know, you immediately invited me on your radio show, which was, I was just thrilled uh, to have that invitation. Um, but, you know, why do we connect so much? Because I was learning about the extraordinary work um, that you and your colleagues at, at, at Bender and Associates do to support people with disabilities to um, gain competitive integrated employment. And that is the kind of experience that, that it, when you run for public office, particularly at the statewide level, people, are just, people who are doing the most exciting, innovative things are, are just chomping at the bit to invite you to come to you know, their place of business um, so they can show you what they're doing. Uh, and that is what I loved about running for governor the most. You know, people who were doing the most exciting things um, I had the opportunity to, you know, really see what people were doing with uh, the wood products industry, for example, you know, as the state of Maine tried to um, transition, has been working for years to transition from being a manufacturing, you know, base, um, you know, to, to producing different types of products. Um, 
And then, you know, the world of what people are doing in disability. Um, that, you know, that was the, that was the kind of experience um, that made it truly one of the gr- most grand adventures of my life. And then, after that, you did what I'm doing right now, talk show host. <laughs> well, so, Joyce, I joke, and, and this still might be on our website, so you might have read this, uh, but, but I, I joked, uh, and still joke, that uh, when you run for political office and you don't win, very often the consolation prize is you are invited to be uh, you know, either a TV host or a radio talk show host. Um, and, and, and I was offered that opportunity. Um, I uh, co-hosted a, uh, a kind of a point-counterpoint um, radio talk show on um, WGAN in Portland, Maine, and it was a blast. It was completely a blast. Had an opportunity to even interview uh, Barack Obama when he was running for president um, in the primaries the first time out. That was a hoot. Wow. Yeah, wow. it was a hoot. It was a hoot. What was particularly uh, funny, um, and you can really relate to this, uh, you know, certainly in commercial talk radio, uh, certainly AM commercial talk radio, you know, very big contrast, obviously, from Internet and, 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 and you know, national public radio, we would have to stop really frequently and remind our listeners that you are listening to Inside Maine at WGAN, you know, Maine's, you know, most popular talk radio. And I was having to interrupt Barack Obama to do that. Oh. It was was a tremendous opportunity, though, Um, you know, for the same reason. Um, you know, because I, be, I would be able to do exactly what you do. You know, you go around the country, you meet people um, who are doing really interesting things, and you get to invite them on your show and have conversations with them. Yeah. Boy, that was awesome. Yeah, that would be <laughs> funny, interrupting him. <clears throat> Not funny, scary. Uh, well, you now have a career working with people with disabilities. But for our listeners throughout the world, what, what made you decide to work in that area? Joyce, it, you know, so similar to how I got into politics, it, it actually wasn't something that I had ever thought I was going to do. Um, I didn't have any family members with visible disabilities, uh, when I went to school, um, and I just celebrated my 60th birthday this year, you know, back when I was in public school, you know, the, 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 my classmates, or rather the children with disabilities, because I couldn't call them my classmates because I never saw them, um, you know, were educated in uh, parts of the building um, where we never saw them, and we never shared lunch. We weren't on the playground together. It was... Um, a highly segregated environment. Um, I went to law school. I knew that I wanted to work in public interest law. I knew I wanted to, um, you know, work in public policy that mattered. Um, shortly after I got out of law school, I was invited um, to represent uh, service providers for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities in Maine. And I was humbled because I didn't know anything about the field. Um, I knew lots, you know, I knew the political players. 
I knew folks on both sides of the aisle in the main legislature so that I knew that I could introduce uh, my clients to people, but I didn't know anything. And they took me by the hand and they, um, they toured me around the state and they introduced me to person after person after person who had lived in Maine's institution for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. You know, back in those days, you know, we were still referring uh, to the institution as um, the Institution for People with Mental Retardation. Um, but I was introduced to folks who had lived in Maine's institution um, for years and years and years, but then had had the opportunity to move into the community and their lives were just completely transformed. Um, people that no one, you know, people that, you know, parent, when, you know, when, when, they're, when, when they were born, their parents were told by their doctors, uh, you, you know, you can't do anything for them. Don't take them home. Instead, um, you know, take them to, to Pineland, Maine's institution. Um, you know, people that, you know, society had forgotten about, but, you know, thank, you know, thank God. Thank God for all the advocates that came before, before us and, and knew that it was wrong and filed the lawsuits and, you know, charged on the state legislatures and, um, you know, built, bit by bit, built a community system of supports and services for people with disabilities and, and showed that people could live lives that no one ever imagined in the community. So, um, you know, that's, you know, I just fell into it. Uh, nothing I intended to do. Um, I had just had my first baby. Uh, and after being taken for a tour and meeting all kinds of people from, you know, some people with just really critical physical conditions as well as intellectual, uh, as well as an intellectual disability. You know, I would go home at night and I would look at my infant in his crib um, and, you know, I would really, you know, start focusing on, you know, those milestones of, of developmental progress for children. And so in the beginning, you know, it was a lot of the, oh gosh, you know, you know, but for the grace of God, you know, um, you know, it, it was, you know, so much of what I felt in the beginning was, was pity for folks and, 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 and gratitude uh, that my children uh, were typically developing. But as I stuck around and really got to know people and really started having my eyes opened, I realized um, that it's that I was looking at it completely in the wrong way. I was taught by folks with disabilities um, that I was looking at it the wrong way, that, that, that they were people and are people of different abilities. And, and, and it, it, it really has transformed my life. You know what? Isn't it sad when you think of the way it was? for people with intellectual disabilities in these institutions. And sadly, there are still some in the United States. But I was at an event uh, for a CEO that retired from Achieva in Pittsburgh. And one of the things that someone brought up, and they were talking about all the work she had done, 
in civil rights was a uh, uh, a rod electric that they used to use at this institution in Pennsylvania. And when I saw I know, I thought, how did this all happen? Uh, But we've moved a lot from there, thank God, but we still have a ways to go. And hopefully, you're going to help us through this great organization that you're the CEO of, Anchor. And I know there are many people not familiar with Anchor, so why don't you tell us, and that's A-N-C-O-R for people listening, what does this stand for and what is the mission? Thank you, thank you. And, and, and what I say to folks when I, when I spell out Anchor, I say Anchor, I say it, it, it is A-N-C-O-R, it's not, there's no H in it. Not anchors away. Oh, that kind of clicks with folks. But um, our acronym stands for the American Network of Community Options and Resources, and we are a national association uh, of, of of providers of services for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and autism. Uh, we, um, we, we are going to be celebrating our 50th birthday, our 50th anniversary in 2020. Um, Anchor was started, um, you know, pretty close to the time that the, both the Medicare and the Medicaid program uh, came into inception. Uh, we are, um, as I said, a national association. Uh, we represent providers of all um, sizes and stripes uh, from uh, some of the smallest providers in the country to um, the very largest. Uh, we represent 52 state associations. Um, our members, um, you know, our, our member, many of our members have names that um, your listeners uh, will recognize, like um, ARC chapters, you know, chapters of the ARC of the U.S., um, United Cerebral Palsy, um, UCP. We represent every single UCP affiliate. Uh, we have lots of members who are affiliated with Easter Seals, um, Volunteers of America, um, they're part of the Lutheran Family Services Network. Um, but the vast majority of our members uh, have names uh, that you may not recognize at all, uh, but they're very well known in their communities. And, and most of our agencies and our members, uh, or many of them, were started by uh, people who were working in those state institutions many years ago, um, but who had a vision and knew um, that there had to be a better way of serving people with disabilities that that wanted, you know, frankly, to liberate them from the red brick buildings that had really become jails. Uh, and so uh, the vast majority of our members are not-for-profit, some 80 to 85 percent. Um, their boards of directors have um, community members, um, uh, family members, people with disabilities, uh, you name it, you know, we're kind of all over the place. Um, you know, what we do is to ensure that providers have a voice in Washington as, um, as Congress and, and the administration um, seek to make policies that uh, impact people with disabilities. Uh, we're there at the table. Um, you know, we were, you know, proudly part of the effort um, that pushed the ADA 
um, into law. Uh, we have been a proud member of the Alliance for Full Participation um, and, and the movement uh, to ensure that more people with disabilities uh, have the opportunity to you know, not only live and play in the communities of their choice, but work. Um, and so that's one of the things that I really want to make sure that we had time to talk about today, Joyce, you know, how together uh, we can help move the needle on ensuring employment for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Oh, that you're talking right down my area now. <clears throat> so one thing before we talk about that. So in some ways, do you view Anchor as like a national membership organization then? Yes, we are. We are. We are a trade association, um, so mm-hmm. organizations um, belong to us as opposed to um, individuals. Mm-hmm. So, um, Achieva, for example, um, could belong to Anchor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your organization could belong to Anchor. Um, we we are organized that way, but we also have um, the Anchor Foundation, which is not a trade association. And the mission of the Anchor Foundation um, is to promote, you know, inclusion for people with disabilities. Um, and that's why um, it's under the Anchor Foundation that we have launched the Included, Supported, Empowered campaign. And I would love to tell you about that. All right. I wanted to just ask you one question. You mentioned you could belong to Anchor. So you're meaning for-profit companies can belong to this trade association? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because what we do is we make sure, you know, as I said, we make sure that providers have a voice in Washington. Uh, let's, you know, let's talk about the, you know, 2017, just last year, uh, multiple times, um, Congress considered legislation that would have repealed and replaced the Affordable Care Act. That was um, a legislative issue that we got involved in in an enormous way because it had huge implications for the Medicaid program, which is one of the three national entitlements for Americans. Um, It's the Medicaid program that overwhelmingly supports people with uh, disabilities, um, that, 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 that pays for residential services, um, that pays for skill building services, for supported employment programs. Uh, last year, you know, over and over and over again, um, we joined with our colleague associations in Washington in fighting back um, a pretty significant attempt to uh, transform the Medicaid program from an uncapped federal entitlement program to um, a capped program, which bottom line would have meant that uh, the federal government would have been sending fewer dollars to the states to support people with disabilities. Oh. You know, the, the, the good news was that those proposals were defeated last year and withdrawn um, you know, I mean, really one of the extraordinary things that happened was as a result of that really, you know, just protracted legislative debate, you know, we started calling it the zombie bill because it kept coming back and back and back. But as a result, um, the real silver lining was that for the first time in 
as long as I've been working in this space, um, more Americans started understanding what Medicaid is and its importance for low-income Americans, for people with disabilities, for older Americans. Um, what we are seeking to do with the Anchor Foundation's Included Supported Empowered campaign is take it the next step um, and educate Americans, um, potential employers uh, for people with disabilities of not only you know, what Medicaid does and, and, and who it supports, but the service providers around the country that are really connecting the dots and, and, and supporting people with disabilities um, to be able to gain integrated employment, live where they want to live, you know, who they want to live with, um, and just make um, the kind of choices about their lives that people without disabilities take for granted every single day. Right. Every day. <clears throat> Agreed with that. Hey, before we go on, you mentioned to me about a campaign you have going on. Do you want to talk about that? I'd love to. I'd love to. I'd love to. And so and so that is the included, supported, empowered campaign. And let, let me just talk to you a little bit about, you know, the, the name of the campaign, why we chose those words. Um, and the tagline, which is, uh, we all have a stake in building opportunities for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So, included, supported, empowered. Um, three pretty simple words, uh, but they really mean everything for folks with disabilities. Um, included. Um, inclusion is what um, is, is, is what this movement, this civil rights movement that's been going on you know for 50 plus years is all about um, you know to, to integ- you know, so that people with, with disabilities have the um, opportunities um, to be integrated in their community, to not be shut off in um, isolated institutions or, 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 or even um, you know, isolated settings where they don't have an opportunity um, to to be with people without disabilities. Um, inclu- uh, supported. Uh, that word um, is really intended to shine a spotlight on the community providers around the country, um, as well as incredibly innovative um, programs and, and companies like yours, Joyce, you know, dis- uh, 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 Bender Associates, um, that help people uh, build the skills that they need to not only get a job, but to keep the job. Um, and that requires support. And then the third word, empowered, um, is the outcome of it. You know, we include people, we support people, and as a result, we empower people. Um, you know, this is a three-year campaign. It's a national public awareness campaign, um, and the goal is to convey the value and importance of community services and to highlight the support networks. Um, we're going to be using... Um, Social, social and digital media. We're going to be sharing stories. Um, and the goal is to, to tell the positive stories because as, as a disability community, we've, we've done what we always have to do 
um, you know, we underline the challenges. You know, we're out there, you know, telling people, policymakers, everyone, uh, you know, what what's wrong and what we need to do more of. Uh, but in the process, I think that we don't often enough take the opportunity to educate the American public about the thousands and thousands and thousands and millions of success stories that are happening every single day. You know, the success story that um, could be as modest as, you know, someone who's lived in an institution for her entire life moves out of an institution and goes to the grocery store for the first time by herself. You know, to the story of of, of the person who who has worked in a, a, a sheltered workshop um, and, um, you know, always thought that that was the most he would be able to do. But uh, when that person was given, you know, the opportunity um, to be able to build the skills, you know, you know applying for and landing a job, um, you know, working in just a... Uh, a regular business like, you know, where you work and I work and and succeeding and getting his own paycheck. Um, you know, those are the extraordinary stories that we're really good as a disability community of highlighting um, when it's the anniversary of the ADA and when it's the anniversary of the historic Supreme Court decision, um, Olmstead. Um, you know, we're really good at the anniversary times of, of telling the success stories, but we need to be doing it, we need to be doing it every day. We need to be doing it all the time um, because there is so much at stake. Um, you know, we need to educate future employers that people with disabilities um, are, are, are extraordinary employees. Um, we need to educate public policymakers, that they need to invest in the community. Um, we need to educate the future leaders in our field that, you know, this is an incredible space to work in. And uh, lots of people come to our space because um, they, they've encountered disability themselves, they're living with disability themselves, or they have a family member, or they've been touched by a person with disability. Um, you know, those are the folks that naturally gravitate towards us, but we need to attract far more. Um, we've got a, an extraordinary story to tell, and that's what this campaign is all about. You know, the included, supported, empowered campaign is about telling those stories, galvanizing our community, asking people to get involved, asking people to share stories with us so that we can put it on our website, wehaveastake.org. Um, you know, just just getting involved and spreading the good word. Um, we've we got a lot of work to do. We, you know, this isn't to say that we've arrived um, at the promised land. Um, we obviously have a lot more work to do. You know, the evolution of of supports and services for people with disabilities. Um, you know, just you know keeps. Um, it just keeps getting better and better. You know, we expect more of ourselves. We, you know, people with disabilities expect uh, more. We all need to expect more. Uh, but in order to help us get there, we need to showcase the positive stories. Boy, Joyce, I'm sorry. I just went on and on. Didn't give you a chance to bring No, no, that is outstanding. I do have a question. 
how can people make a donation? Absolutely. Um, and please, um, because we need donations. This is a three-year national campaign. We're going to be purchasing, um, you know, social media buys. That takes money. Uh, uh, so if you go to our website, we have a stake dot org. Um, if you 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 click to the left and you can see you know how to get involved, um, you know that will take you right to where you can make a donation right on our website, and we would be delighted with any level of of of, of financial contribution. But as I said just a minute ago, we are also just really actively seeking the success stories. So, you know, if you're listening to this radio show and you're thinking, I've got a success story, I would love to, you know, share with the included, uh, supported, empowered campaign my own personal success story or the success story of, 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 of one of my best friends or uh, someone I work with or someone I work for um, or a family member, uh, go to the website um, and share the story with us on the website. Um, it, it's, it's real easy, uh, and we are, are, are just um, looking for those stories. You know, something I want to say to all my listeners, when you're listening to this show and you're saying, wow, this is really great, oh, wonderful what they're doing, oh, I'm so glad they're helping also people with intellectual disabilities. That's great. <clears throat> well, it is great. But organizations can't do these things without revenues. I mean, that's what it takes. So if you're listening and you think this is really a good thing, you should take time to make a donation. Uh, Just as Barbara said, small to very significant, of course, we always like very significant. But no matter what you can do. I encourage you to make a donation. And Barbara, how does someone listening to this show, how do they do that? You go to uh, wehaveastake.org and click on Get Involved. And that will take you right to the donation page. Wehaveastake.org. Is that right? That's right. Okay, we have a stake.org. Okay, you heard it, everyone. And listen, tell other people. And, of course, as usual, a lot of people listen to our show on demand. So if you think of someone, oh, I'd love them to hear this, you make them, you tell them they can go hear it at my website or download through Apple so they can hear it again and again. Um, Now, if I understand this right, with Anchor, it is Anchor. I'm sorry, it's all service providers and some not-for-profits. So, what is the benefit? I'm, I'm sorry, and some for-profits. What's the benefit to a for-profit of of belonging to Anchor? Mm-hmm. That's. It's the same benefit as uh, it is to nonprofits. Um, so, our job is is pretty simple. You know, our job is to make sure that providers are represented um, in the halls of Congress um, and before the administration um, with the Department of Health and Human Services or Housing and Urban Development. 
uh, the Department of Justice, the Department of Labor. Um, you know, what we focus on is ensuring that any proposed legislation uh, or budgets, um, you know, anything like that, um, that, um, that, that they do no harm, but more importantly, that they advance the mission of ANCOR members. Um, and, you know, and our mission is, you know, is, is simply that. Our mission is to ensure that community providers um, have the resources they need to ensure that the folks they serve um, can live valued lives in the community. Uh, we share best practices. Uh, we share cutting-edge technology. Uh, we have, you know, lots. We, we have we have a big annual conference every year. Uh, we have a public policy conference in the fall. We do lots um, of webinars on topics um, as important as um, supporting people um, who not only have an intellectual disability but have a co-occurring um, behavioral health diagnosis. Um, you know, supporting people you know who have. Um, you know, experienced um, severe um, trauma in their lives. Um, we have partnerships with a number of uh, of, of, of businesses um, who have supports and products uh, and uh, services, rather, and products that um, are really helpful for providers from online um, learning opportunities to. Uh, supplies to technology um, uh, firms. I mean, you name it. So our members join us because it gives them a seat at the table at Washington. It exposes them to the most innovative, exciting things that are happening around the country. They learn from each other. Um, it gives them um, a real insight into you know what the trends are um, across the country so that they can position uh, their businesses, their nonprofits, um, to succeed moving forward, um, and so that they can benefit from uh, discounted programs. Uh, you know, the vast majority of our members um, rely on Medicaid. You know, me- Medicaid is the payer um, in our space, and 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 it really represents you know from ninety to hundred percent of the revenues. Um, for um, you know, for agencies that support people with disabilities, um, you know, it's it's it, it's pretty huge, um, and and it means because you know Medicaid is a state and federal partnership um, that service providers have are really challenged um, on a daily basis um, to provide the best quality services for people. Um, for not a lot of compensation. So that's a significant benefit of Anchor membership. Um, you know, to be able to take advantage of, of purchasing discounts, uh, recognizing, you know, that most of Anchor members um, are stewards of taxpayer dollars and um, need to use those dollars as wisely as possible to stretch resources to be able to serve more people with disabilities um, uh, in the way that people want to be served, you know, person-centered services, you know, with the person, um, you know, in the middle, 
directing the service. Wow. I mean, in just that thing you said about best practices, I mean, there's so much really you can gain from this. I I think it's an absolutely wonderful opportunity. I do have a question, though. Are these organizations, do they only serve people with intellectual and cognitive disabilities, or is it larger than that? Oh, it's it's really a mix, Joyce. Um, uh, you know, we 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 represent over fourteen hundred providers, um, so lots of our members serve only people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, and then there are a whole bunch of members that are, uh, that serve people with traumatic brain injury um, or behavioral health. Um, Conditions. Um, we've got lot. We've got a number of members, not lots of members, but certainly an emerging number of members who um, who who serve uh, um, older Americans, um, and you know, and and who accept private pay. Um, so you know, so home care, for example, um, for older Americans that. Um, are not on the Medicaid program. Um, it, it's 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 really across the board. Uh, you know, we have members that serve um, foster children, um, veterans. You know, who have come back from you know the Middle East conflicts. Um, it's 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 really comprehensive. You know, lots of our members serve folks with physical disabilities, intellectual disabilities. Um, you know, you name it. Um, we are, that's why, you know, I always call us a, a really big tent association. Um, but the common denominator and what Anchor's focus is on is improving supports and services for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and autism. Uh, and you know what? Wow, autism, that is such... Such a need today and is getting so much more attention than it ever did before. There was just a show, many of you may have seen my good friend Jenny Leiflory on Sunday morning, this past Sunday, uh, from Microsoft. She's the Chief Accessibility Officer and was just on my radio show a few weeks ago talking about the employment of people with autism, people who have sent out hundreds of resumes that no one would even talk to that now work for Microsoft and are you know making a lot of money and are engineering doing so well, which leads me to my next topic, which is the horrific and shameful high unemployment of people with disabilities. Uh, Barbara, for people with intellectual disabilities, it's even worse. I mean, it's terrible. So many times people will say to me, well, Joyce, 70% of people with disabilities are not even counted in the workforce. But for people with intellectual disabilities, it is far worse. So, why do you think that is, Barbara? Joyce, there are a lot of there are a lot of reasons. You know, it's not a it, it's not a quick answer. Um, it, you know, it's a complicated problem. You know, you described it well. Um, it's a big challenge. You know, we, you know, Anchor is proudly, you know, stood with lots of other um, national organizations and our members and our sister state associations in working really hard to try to move the needle. 
but it's barely moved. Um, and so what are some of those reasons? Um, and, and, and before I even get into that, I mean, let's just, let's just note, you know, the country's unemployment rate now is the lowest it's been in years and years and years. And we're still having trouble getting people with intellectual and developmental disabilities employed. So um, lots and lots and lots of reasons. Um, attitudes um, are one of, you know, the biggest reasons. Um, you know, attitudes on, on the part of family members, uh, friends, case managers, um, you know, sometimes, you know, the service providers themselves, and potential employers of, you know, folks, you know, at the beginning of this of this conversation, Joyce, you know, you asked me how I fell into this, um, and I told you, you know, I never planned to, you know, it just kind of happened to me, and then I fell in love and I didn't leave. And, and I shared my story of, you know, in the beginning, there I was, a brand new mother, um, you know, and I was taken around and, um, you know, introduced um, and toured through a number of different places, and I saw a lot of folks with really complex disabilities. And, you know, it kind of, you know, it kind of, you know, it caught me, it caught my heart. Um, but as I shared at the beginning of this show with you, um, you know, I, you know, it, it struck pity in me at first, like, you know, and, and a sense of obligation of like, oh, gosh, you know, oh, this is, oh, you know, all these poor folks, um, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, what an honor, you know, it would be to be able to represent um, the providers that serve these folks because they're doing God's work. And, and that's how I felt in the beginning because I didn't see the ability, I saw the disability. You know, I'm talking, we're going tw- back 25 years ago, 26 years ago, it was a long time ago. But that's what, you know, all too often, you know, Americans that, you know, haven't had the opportunity to get to know someone with a disability themselves and really see what the, their ability is instead of the disability, that is one of the biggest societal attitudinal changes um, that, that, that we've really got to address. And, and that's what we're, you know, seeking to do in part through our Included Support Empowered campaign. We want, you know, potential employers. We want family members. We want members of the press. We want public policymakers, whether, whether they're at the Pennsylvania state level or the national level. We, we need folks to see th- that lots of folks can and are working in the community so that it will open doors for more people. So attitude is big, but there's also state uh, systems um, that, you know, bit by bit, you know, really have to be improved. Um, What do I hear from my members over and over again? Providers are actually fiscally disincented from, uh, from... Supporting people in the community um, in work settings, um, and you know that's something that varies from state to state to state, and sometimes you know even within a state it can vary. Um, but there are actual systems changes that need to be recalibrated um, to incentivize providers to move people and, and support people um, in integrated employment settings, and then fade away 
as, um, as, as the person gains the independence and skills so they don't need someone supporting them or a job coach on the job with them. Now, I want to be clear, Joyce, that not, you know, that, you know, you know, dis- you know, you've seen one person with a disability and you've seen one person with a disability. It's the same as you've seen one person, um, you know, typically developing person, you've seen one typically developing. We're all different and we all have levels of abilities and we all have different wants and, and needs. And so not everyone, you know, wants to move into a job, but... But so many people do, far more people do, because it's, you know, that dignity of work, that ability to get a paycheck, it just, you know, makes us, you know, it reinforces that we are valued contributing members of society. So we need systems changes, you know, um, we have a, a staffing crisis, um, you know, private providers around the country have an extraordinary um, challenge of attracting and keeping uh, direct support professionals, um, you know, the job coaches, the employment navigators um, that, 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 that work with people one-on-one to help them build the skills. Uh, state rates paid to providers around the country are, have just really been abysmally uh, low. And so as a result, um, these incredibly important jobs, you know, jobs that transform people's lives, um, uh, are, you know, we've got, I think, nationally like a 45% turnover rate of direct support professionals. Um, so we've got a real staffing shortage, and that is actually impeding the ability of lots of providers to be able, you know, to even get folks the skills that they need to support them in the community. We've got state systems um, and, and financial incentives, as I've said, you know, that, that need to be recalibrated. Um, but then we've got just society attitudes. I think all of those can... Um, you know, can be changed. We know they can be. Uh, and that's why, you know, that's why, and I'm, I sound like a broken record, but that's why the Anchor Foundation's included, supported, empowered campaign is so important because we need to educate potential employers that there's a gold mine out there for people with disabilities, you know, um, and, and particularly people with intellectual disabilities. Right. Companies have to get away from this pity. There's a job for everyone. Valerie Jarrett in the Obama administration, she would say to me, there's a job for everyone. Everyone can have a job, but it seems that people with intellectual disabilities, it is not viewed that way. So It's uh, it's not viewed that way. It's not. Well, look, Barbara, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking, wow, such passion. You have such passion for all of this. And, you know, I always feel someone or some people had this impact, whether it's someone in their personal life or someone in history, whatever it would be. But someone has that impact on someone like you. So my question is, who was your role model, or who is your role model? <laughs> Gosh, I feel like flipping that question on you, Joyce. Do you just have one role model, or do you have lots of them? Well, you know what? I have many, 
but it's unusual. I have them in different segments. You know, I have a mentor, uh, Tony Quello. I have historical figures that I have read about and admire. But And I have, of course, my friends and family. But just as you're saying, there are many. So if you would like to list a couple, that's fine. I, I, um, I, I absolutely will. So... So recently, I, I went back to Maine. I, you know, I live in Virginia because I live because I work um, in the D.C. area now. But recently, I went back to Maine for the celebration of the life of a woman named Charlene Kennelly. And Charlene Kennelly was a client of mine. Uh, she was a provider of services for people with disabilities in Maine. She worked for a really small agency called um, Uplift in the Augusta, Maine, you know, the capital of Maine area. And I met Charlene after I'd been in the space, you know, representing um, IDD providers for, I don't know, a year or so. And Charlene was the one member that when you called her and asked her to, uh, you know, come to the state house to help educate legislators about, you know, the importance of services and supports for people with disabilities, she was there in a flash. And then she never left. And she was extraordinary. But it wasn't just that she always showed up because, you know, isn't that what we hear over and over again and what we teach our children and we teach other people that the world is run by people, the world is run by the people who show up. Um, It wasn't just that she showed up. Is Charlene and a couple of the people, uh, really notably another woman named Bonnie Brooks, those women were the ones that really opened my eyes to the abilities of people with disabilities. You know, they were the ones, when they stood up to testify before the legislators, they didn't talk in systems talk. You know, they didn't talk in, you know, kind of, you know, this, you know, lingo that only insiders knew and all acronyms. They always spoke from the perspective of the people they supported because that's why they were there. They, you know, they modeled people first for me, you know, before we were even talking about it. You know, so when they got up and they, you know, they shared why it was important, you know, to, to transition the last people out of Maine's institution, they talked about Mary and they talked about Mark, and they told the stories of Mary and Mark. And then they brought Mary and Mark with them, and they introduced me to Mary and Mark. And they were the ones that really opened my eyes and and transformed um, my whole perspective um, about why we all have a stake in building opportunities for people with disabilities, that the world, that our country is a vastly better place because disability is in it. Um, that it's not about curing disability, it's about accepting disability, it's about celebrating disability, and it's about including people of all abilities. And so it was, it was Charlene Kennelly, it was Bonnie Brooks, 
Um, and, and they're just two of the folks that I have the honor and privilege of representing at Anchor. There are lots of them. Um, well, I'll tell you it. what, Barbara, you are a role model to many of us, period. Uh, but sadly, the show has come to an end. Um, so sad because it's so exciting to have you on the show. But we can have you back on again, Barbara Merrill. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week with Dan Ellerman. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.